Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. All right, welcome to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton, and man, we have a solid episode here for you guys. Also, uh, I would keep an eye out for some Black Friday deals. Um, maybe even DM me. I'm, I'm kind of looking at a few things myself. I do have a note here. Uh, Afflictor Broadheads is actually having a Black Friday sale. It's the only sale they run. You can enter code BF20 at checkout. Save yourself 20%. I've uh, been shooting those heads for the last couple seasons. really like how they fly as far as uh, a performance uh, with a fixed blade and, and the flight characteristics of them. And you can even like look up some videos. I know Lusk Archery is a big broadhead review type YouTube channel. That dude's big on them. Uh, they got the beefier blades as far as a fr- front end is concerned, a little tougher system. And uh, yeah, I've really been happy with those. Definitely check them out. Uh, enter code WEXP at checkout to save yourself a little coin from Lone Wolf Custom Gear. Uh, I do believe that code may not work on on-sale items. Like, I don't think they have the ability to double dip, but if you're going to pick something up from there, go ahead and try that bad boy. We'd really appreciate it. Let's see here. A lot of stuff in the works. Rick killed a absolute giant, obviously. If you follow us on Instagram, I mean, that deer is a, a just wall of tines. Got some good photos of that. Uh, we will do a that that story needs to be told full blown shed cast with a few beverages. I I just think that buck's worth that story. Kyle shot me a text last night and said, "Hey, are you available for photos?" And he shot a hammer, just heavy horned, uh, big woods buck, I believe. And so we should get the full story on that one too. So we got a few good buck stories. I am sitting here recording this. It is the 22nd Tuesday and I was out yesterday I've actually been hunting the family farm I got some small acreage or whatever and there was a book that I would like to shoot living there pretty good through October and then November 9th I have a trail cam video of a doe pissing in a scrape and him literally I think either a minute or 30 seconds behind her have not got him on trail cam or seen him from the stand. I've hunted there five out of the last, let's call it eight, nine-ish days. You know, getting two out of three-day hunts out there and, and haven't seen him. I had a really good hunt there with some some grunting, chasing. I've seen the full-blown rut. I've had cruising. I've had bucks checking does. A lot of small bucks. But um, then yesterday morning, the uh, place was dead. Saw a spike. Uh, the couple doe groups I've been seeing, I don't know, maybe they're hunkered down. And, you know, I gotta, I, I'm sitting here debating because I have a picture of this buck I call like Arlo G3. He's got a good G3. I've named every deer this year after movies my kid is watching. Arlo's a dinosaur in a Disney movie. But so this G3 Arlo buck, he was there last year a lot in late November where I have like two uh, daylight occurrences, one nighttime on this bottom scrape. This year, I've had him sporadically throughout October living on me. He moved in somewhere around August. I got a, a picture of him. 
And it's like, man, has he left with a doe and he's going to circle back? And like, my thought is too, like, wouldn't he circle back in the same place he picked up a doe November 9th? Like, I got this ambush point, works for a south wind. My problem is, if I go sit that, that spot, I'm hunting that particular deer, I, I don't love my chances to like pull in a zombie walker based on the ambush point. It's like, it's not the best pinch in the area. It's got some doe bedding above me, but it's mainly like a scrape route to and from food. It's not your traditional, oh, like this area based on a terrain feature is just going to collect bucks moving big movement types. So my thought is, do I hunt that knowing I've got a decent like current and prior information on a buck? Or do I go back to this piece of public where I just feel it's a good late November. It's got a lot of things working for it. There's a couple bucks in the area I'd shoot. No slammer jammers, but you know, just based on off season scouting, current season scouting, it's like, man, that that's a decent play as well with tomorrow's south wind. So I'm literally coin flipping. Stomach turning knots. What do you do? I just, uh, I don't know. I think it might be a game time decision. I might wake up tomorrow at 2 and say, yep, this is what I want to do today. Um, I have two thoughts. Like, how do you want to go down swinging? Or, yeah, that's it's, it's, so, it's so tough. But it has been chilly lately. And something I wanted to touch on on the podcast is some of the cold weather type systems uh, that, as a mobile hunter... You, you, there are things to think about or, or discuss because obviously after this gun season, it's, it's going to be late season, which is which is tough on the public land. And I'm also going to get into so, some uh, a couple of private land thoughts here after hunting that for literally I hunted private land this year. I don't know five sits. That's the most I've had in like three years of hunting. Uh, I just don't generally hunt that place all that much. Maybe me and my sister will will tag a two a couple hunts in there, but. Um, I have some thoughts now, having done a, a little bit of both this season. But cold cold weather systems, something like I am a big proponent of, obviously, is the socks over the boot uh, tip. That is my number one YouTube famous video. And just jam- taking an old pair of hunting socks, cutting them around the heel, and, and putting that over the boot and adding either a hand warmer or whatever. But I like that system because it separates, you know, it's, it's easy to pack. Now, I, the last couple... We, hunts have been in the teens to start the day and and not warming up tremendously so i have i have also the arctic shield boot covers which on what i will call like the new aluminum stands the what do they call that like the plated the water jet they're that material on the bottom side of the arctic shields plus the the stands themselves i think are a little louder than say the old cast stands um I think that's worth noting is like the Arctic Shield is clearly a better, it's a sleeping bag for your boot. So it's going to do probably a better job. And right now that it's the rut, I'm sitting five, six hours. You know, I'm in my stand five o'clock sometimes waiting on daylight. It's 630 um, a few times here on, on, on a few of these sits. Now the ideal is probably just to be sitting roughly an hour in the dark. But a few times I've been in place and position a little longer than that. And those Arctic Shields, you know, the being better for the boots, long sits, I've been taking those, and they are definitely louder. I did cut, like, an old flannel shirt and hot glue that to the bottom to cover up the, I'm going to call it gritty-type material that's on the bottom of those Arctic Shields just to quiet them down a good amount. But it's something when I'm in the stand, 
Like I have to be conscious of how I move and shift my feet. Like it's like I pick the boot straight up off the platform, turn it, you know, 20 degrees to the right, plant back down, now move the other one. And sometimes you hit a cable a little more because you're just not as nimble up there. It's, there's definitely a plus minus. Now tomorrow the temperature is supposed to be 28 degrees, I think, at sunrise. And that's a much more uh, comfortable just dealing with it. Uh, and it's also supposed to get up warm quick, uh, which is nicer as far as the mobile hunting aspect. So I think I'm going to go back to the, the sock over the boot tomorrow. Uh, I've been taking like four body warmers and putting two on my chest, two on my back. And I put those on like, so generally I hang my stand. And even on my private piece, I will say I have been running around with like an XOP set of like the the long traditional sticks. And I've got like two or three sets of those. And so like I leave them in the tree and like this year, I went to Kill Ridge. I literally tore down my three pack of sticks, brought in a double for my top, moved over 20, 18 yards or whatever to a different tree because I just feel like sometimes I got to fine tune my ambush points out there. And I've been running around with a couple sets of those XOPs. Now I've left them this year after I've initially shifted, but uh, I do, that, that is a quick hang and hunt system. Uh, those long sticks with the buckles on them, you know, just super fast been been digging those but um so i've been running around four body warmers and i put those on right around my either merino layer or i i've been taking that fleet uh phantom vest and i i try to trap it all in and then as far as like my tops i've been wearing this like nomad puffy um guy and then like my outer layer has been recently it's been the ambush uh jacket from predator and that's like got a built-in hand muff which is kind of nice it's a little it's not terribly loud for a um pre-maloff piece i'm interested to see what fleet comes out with now tomorrow reaching back up into like the 30 kind of temperature range i'll probably go to a micro fleece jacket that it's not as warm but it's definitely quieter and, and i'm a fan of that especially getting a full draw i'm a little scared sometimes at like under five mile an hour winds and that buck's like 11 yards from your stand i definitely think you, you need a quiet piece to maybe pull the draw off a little better um obviously i've been jamming my hand warmer with not just like two hand warmers but like four and throwing a hand warmer in each of the uh boot covers not sure how long those last or even if those do anything but I, but i've been solid i did upgrade my neck gator too which i noticed the difference when i go from like a skinny merino neck gator to a bit a big bulkier um it's i'm just warmer um so you know that that's some of the stuff i've i've been doing i generally hang my stand in just my base layer uh maybe two merino tops in the cold days and and generally uh i've been wearing like some uh base layer bottom and then like the athletic or hunting pant of choice hang the stand then I start loading up my bibs, my my pieces of layering from there. Uh, fingerless gloves for sure is a no-brainer. Uh, Dave and I really like these, what are they, minus 33 fingerless wool gloves. Amazon's got a few others, and I, I have a handful of the cheapos from Amazon. Like uh, One's like a military wool fingerless glove. And the other's like a, a thicker one, and, and both those just aren't as good. I've had the uh, First Light Talus gloves, I think they, they're called, and they're they're the thinnest of everything I've just named. I like those minus 33 because they're like a, 
a light to midweight. They're they're definitely warmer than the first lights, but the first lights are nice because they are so thin. They they're definitely a thinner profile, but uh, those are uh, have been my favorite fingerless gloves that I've tried to date. Um, and I like fingerless just for touching cameras, bows. I will say that prime grip is pretty pretty fucking noticeable. I remember I, I called Kevin Vistason after a hunt last year where I, I swear I gave myself frostbite holding my bow on like a two and a half year old buck. But um, yeah, something here I did want to discuss is private land. Clearly I've been doing a little bit of private land hunting the last seven, 10 days or whatever. And Andy got on a piece last year. And Greg Tubbs, another friend of mine, got on a, a nicer piece this year as well as far as doe numbers um, for, for Tubbs. And you know, we were kind of discussing it and Dave was actually supposed to do some door knocking this summer before, um, but he just got busy and it's like, it's kind of nice to have a, a piece of private to, to mix in or to do a few things on. And I will say I have, I've learned some stuff, um, because of having some private land as far as like habitat learning, like species of trees, species of bushes, browsing, uh, how you can even like pull up like old, um, you can get a forester to pull up essentially like what your aerial looked like in like the 1950s. Um, I think that's a, a, a worthwhile note because then you can kind of find maybe some old cattle type pasture or open field edge that's now timber. Cause you got to think if it was open field in the fifties is now as timber on your current overhead views, you can, uh, you can you bet it's a little thicker. Uh, it just kind of always goes back to a natural state or, of, of some sort. Now, I think that might change with the fact that some of these apps now, there's not just on X, there's a bunch of them, and they have a lot better aerial-type uh, imagery. But rewind a couple of years ago when, when I was hunting my small piece, my Forster guy sent me some overheads from the 50s, um, I believe. Maybe it was the 80s. I got no idea. I can't really recall. But it was like, oh, wow. He's like, yeah, the reason this one hillside is... A little thicker in the trees are certain species he's like it was cattle pasture back in the day and i was like oh okay okay so we kind of said uh, set a plan in place from that um oh pro tip here in the buckeye state i believe the caUV tax program is no longer like the big tax break for landowners but you can enroll your your piece in the forestry program which is a 50 percent break uh, you do have to do some work as far as like you got to enroll, but as long as you are making forward progress on the action plan, they come out and, and kind of lay for you, uh, you automatically qualify. Stuff like cutting vines or invasive species work all counts. It's it's really easy to kind of get into that program and, and make forward progress on. Um, the other thing that's nice about having a private piece, full, full honesty, like your day-to-day -day hunt is easier. And what I mean by that is you generally don't have to worry about beating people to a parking lot. Uh, you generally don't have to worry about as much uh, human traffic. And maybe you share the piece with other people, but drive by a, a piece of public land here uh, Thanksgiving morning. And best believe if there's any sort of small game uh, habitat on that piece, there'll be 27 bazillion hunters. Uh, I've driven by some pieces on, on Thanksgiving morning and you'd be shocked at everybody that's now um, rabbit hunting it. And you're like, oh, Rabbits tend to like a similar winter type habitat for whitetail. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, some private land having a little less pressure is nice. Um, as far as easy hunt, you know, if you're working with like an, an average man property, I'm going to go under a hundred acres and, and this is targeting, let's call it 10 to 40, 
Like you, you're physically just not gonna have as much ground. So like walking to a stand, what we we talking four hundred yards? That's nothing. Uh, generally, you you can walk to on some sort of trail system if you've uh, in, you know deployed that, and that makes a huge difference. Walking three hundred yards up a hill uh, on a trail is way easier than walking three hundred yards no trail up a hill. Um, the mobile hunting game translates really well to private land. Uh, you're not afraid to move because you've always been hanging stands if if you've come from the public. You're like, yeah, I hang a stand every hunt. It's just what I do. So you come into your private piece, and I've seen it a lot of times where like a, let's call it an area. And an area I'm going to say is a 100-yard by 100-yard box on the map. Like this area is good, right? It's, it's produced sightings in the past. I uh, like what's going on there, but uh, sometimes you got to fine tune them. And so you got to shift 15, 20 yards. Like I, I had to the other day, literally, you know, I had a buck push a doe and they came down this trail and she veered right instead of left. And I have this hundred inch buck, right, or uh, let's call him an 80 inch buck right underneath me. I'm like the big buck that I've seen running around the top of this hot doe. Like he's going to come down here and kick this guy's ass. I think, well, he doesn't, uh, he stays with his girlfriend, but I've now moved the stand literally like 18 yards, not even necessarily up the hill, but like kind of on a diagonal, like side hill plus a little uphill. And instead of him being at 45 yards through the thick cover, he's probably around 20 to 25. And I've, I've got, I can see the, the system that they squirted out on me and, and I've got a, a really good like shot opportunity I feel now. Uh, so I think that's worth mentioning. It's like the mobile game, uh, translates really well. And typically I, I'll say this, I think it's easier because you're just not carrying the gear as far. And I'm, I'm taking buckles, you know, on some of my stuff or you can like prep trees, how Eberhard talks about, like you can have a few trees prepped and like, even if you just have sticks in trees, I've done that for, for, uh, a couple of years where the first time of the year I bring the stand in. So it doesn't have the wear and tear on the stand, but there's, there's sticks already in the tree. You know, it's a it's a little different game as far as I feel like it's it's less scouting. Some of these pieces are learned over time. I used to hunt a um, piece, in, I'm not gonna say where Jesus, but a uh, small acreage. I used to work on the farm in college and, and got hunting permission on, and would hunt it every Sunday. You know, because those are the days I could hunt. I didn't have a soccer on Sundays. And I used to hunt this farm post-college and kind of started adapting some of the Mark Kenyon talk of, of less pressure and notice, holy shit, like if I don't hunt this place until like late October or November 1, like the caliber of buck and number of bucks I'm seeing is significantly better. So like just learning it over time. And, and I would say too, like, man, if you've got just small acreage, it's definitely a game of less is more and not hunting is such a good tactic um, on those pieces where, you know, the saying can't kill them from the couch. Sturgis argues, yeah, you are killing deer from the couch because, you know, if you've only got so much access, you can't burn it up. Um, so having both, that's kind of the topic I, I've discovered here is um, having both is, is a good thing because I can be scouting uh, public in October. I can be hunting uh, public in October. I have a I have a gold star here. Uh, shooting does huge advantage uh, on private land. Uh, again, if it's smaller, you don't have to drag them as far. Dustin shot a doe. He said it was it was it was a solid mileish back, and we looked at him. And this is his first year kind of hunting some some big woods, some some hill country. We're like, dude, that that's a no doe spot. You you do not want to do that, especially like we were all working. And and generally we have a rule we don't. <laughs> 
we don't drive to help drag does out. You know, you got to save that family, uh, ditching the family on a Tuesday night for your buddy who shot a buck. Like, you don't do that for a buddy who shot a doe on a Wednesday morning, uh, mid-October. But yeah, the ability to shoot does. And, and the more I do this, I realize how much I've messed up and just not shot as many does with my bow in the last 15 years. Not even the last couple. I'm talking, I would have, you know, it'd be nice to have a few more doe kills with the bow, um, you know, in, in close range. The other thing is, uh, on, on at least my private piece, like the deer population's better. I don't think that comes as any shock to anyone. But uh, that helps me in, in gauging deer and, and looking at deer on the hoof. You know, I can remember a, a couple seasons ago, the first buck I seen was right on that shooter class of what I wanted. And that's that's not exactly the most fun situation. Like, I kind of like to see maybe, you know, some four points and then uh, around a 100-inch buck or two and then see a, a shooter. That, you know, build up for it, if you will, and be able to gauge, be like, oh, I just saw a 100-inch. We, we talk about it a few times. Like, when you see, like, a small buck and then see the big buck, like you just, you have the perspective because you have like a benchmark. And so you're like, oh yeah, like I saw this buck up the hill. He was noticeably bigger than the buck I seen an hour ago working this scrape. Uh, so, so that is nice to, to be able to see a few deer, kind of get a, a better ability to judge them. Uh, I think that that does help. Um, but yeah, the other kind of uh, final note here, and obviously this is on the mindset being that uh, next week is gun season. So good luck to all you Ohio hunters. We will be out. I kind of just looked at my work stuff here prior to recording. I think I'm going to try and get a report done and, and get out there myself on opening day. And late season hunting. Late season hunting, I, we just have not had the best luck on on the public just because it, it it does seem like it really shuts them down for for a long time not to say it's not doable dave and andy have had some epic uh uh late season hunts they had a have a spot developed called triple buck fight literally because um in january they had three bucks fighting i i don't know if there was one hot doe and just everybody was all fired up but it's called the triple buck fight and and so yeah, like late season, I you know if you have a small piece, doing some sort of small food plot uh, here in Ohio, I think you, you know you obviously can bait. So if you're a good, um, I've never had the best luck. Um, I used to run some corn piles back in the day a lot more, and just like, well, how come I don't have any big bucks on them? And maybe it's because I was letting them dry out. I've, you know, there is I think there's a little bit more of an art to it than than I know about. Uh, I've just never seen a, a huge success. But I've got some f- small food plots out there, um, and we're talking C minus level food plots. And my hope is if I don't shoot a buck here in the next couple, uh, the next week, then maybe I can get some better late season hunting in uh, than ever before. And and the public land, man, like hanging a stand is really difficult when you, it's, it's cold just due to number of layers and just freezing hands and just BS of it all. It might be nice to be able to have a few of these semi-presets and, and be able to hunt a, a plot that has deer coming to it somewhat regularly, maybe not every night, but two out of five, right? Because some of the public, like you walk around in December, it's ghost town. Um, or you see one deer. It's just not a high odds game, I feel. But yeah, that's a couple thoughts. I think it's worth mentioning. Um, I'm still super debating tomorrow on what to do. Um, 
you know, part of me wants to go see some new woods. Part of me says I've got a, a buck I have somewhat of a pattern plus historical pattern on. I, I just, I'm torn. But uh, appreciate you guys listening. If you were t- tagged out, successful here in the rut, that's awesome. Um, team Harder and Bucks, we're out.